Hello everyone. My name is Simone and I'm a foodie. My love for food is probably why I struggled with weight gain for many years. I tried diets, exercise, starving, you name it, but didn't ever seem to achieve lasting weight loss until I discovered the secret of adopting a healthy lifestyle. Once I did, I've been enjoying my foodie adventures with tasty healthy meals. No bland hospital food here. I'm no nutritionist, personal trainer or psychologist, but as they say, experience is a good teacher and that's what I want to share with you. My experiences. I'd like to share with you tips on how to live your best foodie life, lose weight, keep it off in the long term and achieve overall wellness and fitness. Welcome to the Amateur's Weight Loss Guide podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of AWLG, the Amateur's Weight Loss Guide. And today I want us to talk about something really really serious. It's something to do with the healthcare system. I just got out of an experience uh, last week that just got me thinking so much about the healthcare system and how it works. Today we're going to be talking about something called patient advocacy. You may or may not have heard it, but I'll give you the definition uh, and we'll get started. So um, all this uh, sprang out of an experience I had last week. I was at the doctor's and um, I went for some tests and then I, I had some drugs prescribed for me. And when I googled what those drugs were about, I just realized that some of them seemed totally unrelated to what I went to the doctor for. But before I jump the gun, let me just rewind a little bit and let's talk about patient advocacy. Now, I believe for a number of things, but especially for uh, more serious health situations, we need a patient advocate. Okay. And a patient advocate is just as the name suggests, it's, it's like a lawyer. It's like your lawyer when you're navigating the healthcare system. Now, I, I, I didn't go to hospital for a serious thing, but um, I've seen people go through uh, hospital admissions and uh, diseases and uh, sicknesses that really, when you look at the whole situation, you feel like this person would have done with a patient advocate. Now, um, in Kenya... We may not refer to them as patient advocates, but many of us have so-called patient advocates in the form of our relatives or our friends who are doctors or nurses who can give us that advice that we need. But let me just uh, describe, let me define what a patient advocate is. It's an actual career abroad, okay? Uh, And it's just as, as I said, the label describes, it's people fighting for you in the healthcare system. So the definition, I'm going to to pick it from Indeed.com, which is a HR website and describes a a number of careers and everything. So a patient advocate or patient advocates help people navigate the complexities of the healthcare industry. This could include helping patients with administrative tasks like reviewing insurance claims and medical bills for accuracy and completeness and helping them dispute insurance claim denials. 
It could also include helping patients understand difficult diagnosis and treatment options, reviewing prescriptions and medications to ensure there are no conflicts and helping patients make difficult medical decisions. Now, as I said, in Kenya, it may not be uh, as uh, big a career as it is abroad, but we do, that's because we are a communal, you know, country. We have our friends, we have our relatives around us. So whenever we have an issue, you'll go to the doctor and then uh, many people, their way of seeking a second opinion is by talking to that relative who is a doctor or a nurse or talking to your friend who is a doctor or in the medical field or talking to your friend who is in the insurance industry to get that second opinion. But abroad, it's a very individualistic um, society. So many times... Uh, people don't have that sense of community where you just call your your friends or your relatives and it's one ha big happy family where you know uh, my aunt's friend is a doctor and they can refer me to another doctor or they can describe for me this ailment. It's not that kind of community uh, environment. So very many times it's just you and the professional that you're paying for. So that's what it is. So um, by the nature of the job, many people have an educational background in something related to health. So uh, patient advocates, many of them were probably nurses at a point, probably working in the insurance industry. So they understand how the system works and so they can advise you accordingly. Now, what made me get interested, more interested in this health uh, advocacy or patient advocacy uh, topic is, as I said, last week I went to the doctor and then I was prescribed for a whole barrage of medicines. And when I looked them up, I just couldn't believe that some of them were so totally unrelated to what I had gone in for that I was like, what is all this about? Okay. I'm not a doctor, but I mean, I think there's a point where some common sense kicks in. So anyway, I have been experiencing constipation. Now, I used to have constipation a very long time ago, but that was when I was eating, you know, badly. I was eating junk. I was eating a lot of sugar. Um, if you listen to my episode two of the podcast where I talk about, uh, is it okay to cheat? Um, I used to be a cheater, as in I used to have weekends where I would eat all that bad stuff. You know, I was addicted to ice cream, the chocolates and whatnot, so I'd eat those things. So my problem is that once I start, I just cannot stop. So I just cut out all the the sugars, I mean, all the processed sugars, all the bad stuff, all the junk, because it just wasn't helping me and it was giving me constipation. Now, when I stopped all that, I mean, my emptying episodes, <laughs> my number two episodes were, were really smooth. I know this is a bit of TMI, but just stick with me because I have a point at the end of all of this. So anyway, I stopped having constipation when I started eating clean and I eliminated all the ice cream, the chocolates, the crisps and all of that. And um, eating popo is really good, by the way. I know you've heard it a lot. Popo is a very good thing for you when you want to go for a number two. Just in case you're struggling with constipation, 
that bit of information could be very helpful for you. So now, about a month ago, I started experiencing uh, constipation again. And to be honest, it was because I started slipping off the healthy eating. Um, and it all started when I went to visit a friend and she had these Indian sweets. And if you've listened to my podcast enough, you know that I used to struggle to stop eating the Indian sweets, the burfi, the B-U-R-F-I. Oh, that sweet is so sweet. It's really delicious. And she gave me some of those sweets and I ate them and it just called to mind. I I just remembered how sweet those sweets used to be. And I went on a down, downward spiral. As in, I went to that shop to buy me some Indian sweets and it went downhill from there. After that, I started eating more uh, lactose foods and I'm lactose intolerant. I started taking yogurt. I started taking um, cooking cream. I started putting cooking cream in my uh, traditional vegetables. I, I took more butter. Oh my goodness, it's terrible. So you can just understand how things work for me. Once I start on a downward spiral, it just goes off. It goes left pretty fast. So I got acne and then I got constipation. And so... I stopped eating those things again and I'm back to my clean eating, but then the constipation did not stop. And I guess it just doesn't stop like a switch. It's not a switch. It takes time just as I had been eating like for eating badly for two weeks. It was going to take some time to go back to uh, having normal bowel movements, but it was so uncomfortable. So I just decided to go to a gastroenterologist and do some tests. So I explained to him what I was, I was experiencing constipation and a lot of gas. I know it's still TMI, but just stick with me because there is, uh, something to this story. So anyway, so I explained to him what I was going through and he suggested that I do a couple of tests to see if everything is all right in my GI tract. That's the gastrointestinal tract. Uh, so I did those two tests and they came out clean. So they were clean, but then he recommended a whole list of seven drugs for me to take just to get rid of the constipation and the flatulence. Now, seven drugs and each of them were in multiples. So I had like six packets of one particular drug, four of another particular drug. As in, in total, I had like over 20 packets and bottles of stuff. And it's crazy. And I was like, yo, I may be having constipation, but it's not that severe. And does it really need all these things? And then after that, the bill was astronomical. Okay. Okay, I may be putting a little bit of high publi there, but it was really, really high. The bill was high and thank God for your health insurance, which uh, we should do a whole podcast on health insurance because health insurance to me, I view it as an investment. I feel like uh, a lot of other insurances are sometimes you feel like you're throwing money down the drain, but for health insurance, I believe it's an investment um, it is, I mean, car insurance, motor insurance, sometimes you just feel like it's throwing money down the drain. You may have no accident and there you have taken uh, comprehensive insurance and you're just get paying premiums year after year and never claiming them. Um, education policies 
Yes, they're helpful, especially for people who are not good savers, but they are not an investment. So if you are thinking of taking out an education policy for your child, or if you're thinking of having a child in the near future and you're thinking of taking out an education policy as an investment, please know it's not an investment. And even the agents will tell you as much. It's not an investment. It's more of like a saving. And it's more like to instill discipline towards uh, saving if you're not a good saver and you know you have children who need to go to school primary secondary and university you just put that money away so that you don't touch it so we should talk about health insurance one of these days soon so anyway back to the to the bill it was so large that it surpassed the limit the outpatient limit for a single visit okay so every uh insurance have this thing of like each outpatient visit should not exceed uh, a certain limit. So if it exceeds a certain limit, then you have to go and write uh, to get an approval. So this one exceeded the limit for uh, a single visit. And so they had to seek approval. So yo, when I thought of it, I mean, seven drugs, that's fine. But then when I looked at the, the bill, I was like, some of them were going for like a hundred dollars yes that's ten thousand shillings okay it's more than ten thousand shillings because the shilling to the dollars is changed right now but anyway some of them were like in the range of ten thousand kenyan shillings for a single uh, a single drug so i was like what is going on this doctor said that i'm all right and he said all he was giving me was just some drugs to help me uh empty my bowels without any trouble so it got me thinking. I needed to Google these things. So I Googled some of the drugs and to my utter shock and horror, I found that one of the particular drugs that had been prescribed was for anxiety. And so I was like, what? Like say, what? How is anxiety and constipation related? Like seriously, I need an answer and I will be going back to the doctor in two weeks for a review. So I will have to ask these questions because I'm like, this is this is wrong. I mean, unless some, there's a doctor among us listening, if, you, if there's a doctor among you who are listening, please explain to me how anxiety and constipation are related. Because one of those drugs was for anxiety. Okay, then I mean, the others were like supplements, like there was castor oil, which castor oil is known to be a natural laxative. So, okay, that seems to make a bit of sense why uh, he would prescribe a castor oil supplement. There was also a peppermint oil supplement, which is also kind of has laxative features. But what got me like was that anxiety drug. I'm like, yo, I did not come here with complaining about some some mental issue so what was the anxiety drug about anyway so that is how this patient advocacy topic just came to mind because i'm not a health professional i have no um qualifications in any health related field so all i can do is uh, depend on Dr. Google or maybe a friend doctor or a friend nurse to explain to me some of these things but i was like how many people are even not on insurance and are being prescribed for drugs that may not be what they need and they have to cough out this money on their own? It's, it's wrong. 
And another drug that I was prescribed for was a painkiller. And I was like, I don't feel any pain. So how the pharmacist was explaining it to me, she was like, um, I don't know why it was prescribed, but sometimes when um, a certain drug, one of the drugs that I was given is is prescribed for you, they prescribe it alongside a painkiller because of something about antihistamine properties. I don't know. I don't understand. But I'm not trying to disrespect the health profession, but some things are sometimes a no-no and it gets me wondering, are these people looking out for the good of the patient or are these people primarily in business to make money at all costs? Because we know the truth of the matter is that sometimes there are doctors who work alongside pharmacists and pharmacies and insurance companies and for every drug that is prescribed and they and by the way this uh, the the receptionist at this doctor's uh, uh, clinic told me you can go to the the pharmacy just across uh, across this clinic to get the medicines which makes sense because it's just across the the clinic I don't have to go elsewhere but the reality is we don't know if this doctor of this clinic is in has some collaboration with that pharmacy such that every um, prescription that is referred to that clinic this clinic gets a commission yo let's have real talk these things happen these things are for real because when somebody prescribes for me an anxiety drug yet my complaint was constipation that it really gets me wondering whether this was a really honest prescription or these the pharmacy and the clinic are working in cahoots to make money out of me as the patient okay and uh, this this whole situation reminded me of a TED talk by um the late uh, media and PR professional Lorna Irungu um she was talking about her lupus her fight with lupus and she had it for over 15 years and she she said there were times doctors would prescribe certain forms of treatment for her and she would reject them because um to paraphrase she said something like uh, doctors understand diseases because that's what their training is but she understands her body the best because she lives in it you as the person understand your body the best because you live in it so Sometimes, and this goes for very many things. I mean, sometimes you're being prescribed for um, a certain drug and you're like, no, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. So you understand yourself the best. So do what works for you. And that can also, anything in life really, let's say for, for example, exercise. There are people who can do HIT exercises, H-double-I-T, high intensity interval training they can do it they can do it well but for other people they just cannot keep up with it it doesn't mean that they cannot exercise but they are better with low impact exercises they're better with aerobics they're better they prefer walking rather than doing the gym kind of thing so you know your body best and you know what works for you and what doesn't work for you it's the same thing with food for some people they know uh they can eat five meals a day, small meals through the day, and they're good. For some people, when they start snacking, 
then it goes downward. So they'd rather just have three good meals a day. You know your body because you live in it. You li- you've lived in it for your whole life. So it just makes you wonder whether drugs sometimes are prescribed for the good of the patient or for the good of the pocket of the doctor and the pharmacy. Okay, so uh, Lorna was saying that she rejected some drugs because she knew that although they offered some temporary relief, they had some negative long-term effects. Yeah, so patient advocacy is a thing. And it's an important thing. We may not have it as in, uh, we may not choose to have a patient advocate as um, a professional by our side, but I think it's a good idea to have, as I said, in Kenya, we're a whole community of people. You know, there's that friend of yours who's a doctor, there's that friend who's a nurse, there's that family member who's a doctor or a nurse or in the insurance field or uh, is in the health field. So, Always, I think it's a good idea to get second opinions. Yes, I know too many cooks spoil the broth. Sometimes you can get so many second opinions that you are left worse off than if you would have just gone with what the first doctor said. But sometimes just question some things because you might find that you're being prescribed for anxiety drugs when you all you have is constipation. I'm still not feeling that whole situation. <laughs> well, anyway... Um, this patient advocacy thing also came up when I was reading a book by Kamala Harris, who is now the vice president of the United States. But by that time, she was not. She was the senator uh, for California. And in her book, she talked about why she was strongly uh, for mandating the use of patient advocates because the system is just messed up. It's really messed up. She talked about um, her mother's battle uh, with disease. And she said some people are fighting so many kinds of diseases by themselves. So they make the wrong decisions because they don't have anyone to help them. And sometimes they feel um, under duress. They feel like they want to stop the pain. They, they feel like, okay, they're being told that this is the only option or your life is at stake. Let me read a particular section of Kamala Harris's book where she talks about patient advocates. And it is on page 149. Let me just read, let me quote. I came away believing that we should mandate patient advocates with medical expertise so that anyone dealing with an acute illness has a trustworthy, capable champion by their side. After all, we have decided that When their liberty is at stake, people are entitled to an attorney. We do this because we understand that most people don't speak the language of the courtroom. And even if they do, in high pressure situations, it's difficult to make objective judgments. The same is true in a hospital. Emotions are running high. People are placed into a new environment where a specialized language is being spoken with complex, unfamiliar terms and phrases. And they may have to make decisions while they are frightened or in pain or heavily medicated or all three. So, yes, patient advocacy is a very important thing. And that is all I have for you today because I just felt so strongly about speaking about patient advocacy. And I I want you to be more alert when, you know, reading 
when interacting with your doctor, question and question and question and question more because I mean, you're paying when you go for that consultation. I know there's some doctors, and by the way, this particular doctor that I went to was dismissive. He just had, I explained my symptoms and he was already telling me, okay, um, he was already just rushing me to do uh, the tests because the tests are expensive, okay? Those tests are not cheap. They're put under inpatient cover. They're not cheap. So he didn't even want to listen to my whole story of the what I was talking about, constipation and flatulence and stuff like that. He was just in a rush to sign me up for the tests because it's expensive, which means it's money to his pocket. So what I'm saying is advocate for yourself as a patient, but also have people, you know, who are experienced in the health field whom you can go to and ask questions when if you are doubting um, prescriptions or advice from a particular doctor yeah and just be very keen pay attention to detail when your health bills come because I know of people who have been admitted you know once you're admitted there are so many costs that come along with it we've heard it especially I hear this um uh, with people who are going to give birth. Once you're admitted, these hospitals can place a whole barrage of costs, some things that you never even use. So if you don't question, if you don't advocate for yourself or you don't have that patient advocate in the form of your spouse or your parents or your friends or relatives or whoever is walking the journey with you uh, in the during your your delivery, then you'll find you are just billed and overbilled for things that you didn't use. And especially when you're paying through insurance, they just pile on things that were not there. But just make sure you advocate for yourself. When they bring that list of uh, expenses, go through it. There are things that, you know, they're too small to start figuring out. Did I use this and do, did I use that? Like gloves, if they put, they use 10 pairs of gloves. I mean, you're not going to start thinking I was admitted two days ago and uh, I only saw one glove one pair of gloves being used no those are smaller things but then there's some other major things that contribute to your cost that you should question like was I given this drug did I really use this did I use that advocate for yourself please do and if you cannot if you're sick if you're not in a position to advocate for yourself, please try and find somebody who is trustworthy to advocate for you, to be your patient advocate. And with that, um, we end the podcast. And I had mentioned this in a previ- uh, previous podcast. For healthy, tasty, simple meals, I do have a, a, a Facebook page and an Instagram page called Babim Shamba, B-A-B-I-M-S-H-A-M-B-A. There you will find a variety of very healthy, simple, tasty, uh, low-calorie foods that you can try at at home to help you lose weight, to help you maintain weight loss. They're tasty. We're not talking about eating lettuce and uh, uh, what? Lettuce and what's the red thing called? Beetroot salad day and night. I'm not a salad fan. So you won't find very many salads there, but you'll find very tasty foods. We're not talking about boiled food. We're talking about you can lightly fry your foods and enjoy it and 
you know, still lose weight, okay? Because as I said, food should be a pleasurable thing. I'm a foodie. It has to be pleasurable, okay? You want to get a foodgasm as you're eating. So you can check out that uh, my Facebook page and my Instagram page, like like my pages, give me ideas for recipes that you'd like me to try as well, that are healthy, that are simple, that are tasty. And let's continue to catch up. You can send me an email at awlgke at gmail.com. Leave me a message, leave me a voice note, and tell me about your experiences with the healthcare system. Have you also gone through experiences that left you thinking, hmm, things that make you go, hmm? Share with me. I'd like to hear from you. And until next time, I will see you.